I think that's brilliant. All right, I'm recording. The more backups we have, the better. All right, great. I'm recording too. Great. Here we go. Hi, I'm Patricia. Welcome to the 85th episode of A Breath of Song. I am so glad you chose to do this today because it's extra special. Heather Pearson is joining us for a songwriter conversation. Hi, Heather. Welcome. Hello. It's nice to be here. It is really lovely to have you. It's lovely to make contact for the first time. Yeah. In two dimensions. In two dimensions. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. We're we'll, getting... Get, we'll get to the in-person version someday. Yes. Marty Rubin said, to sing is to bring to the surface all the depth of one's being. We're here to experience that depth with songs that help us heal and adapt and grow. Your voice is exactly what's needed for this. I'm coming to you straight from my home in what is now called Burlington, Vermont, on the unceded lands of the Abenaki people. And Heather, tell us where you're calling from. I am here in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. All of our voices will turn up as they are today, and no matter what, we can feel the connection to our breath and vibration in our body. Let's find how good it can feel to sing. Last week, I shared Heather's song, May I Be Open. Today, Heather will be teaching us this gorgeous song of hers called This Body. We'll learn it slowly so it can settle inside you and you can begin to trust it as a resource, let it move you into a state of flow, and then we get to enjoy a conversation with Heather and we'll close out with the song again at the end. You'll always be able to find this episode on the website, abreathofsong.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit rewind, listen as many times as you'd like. So let's just start getting into our bodies with a yawn stretch. Oh, maybe rolling your shoulders, stretching side to side. You'll be able to hear both Heather and me as we kind of find our afternoon voices. <laughs> mm. Noticing where it's tight in your body, where it's already released. Hmm. And allowing yourself to pay extra attention to the breath for a moment as it comes in. See where it wants to go. And as it goes out, see what it wants to take with it. And as it comes in, letting it widen your rib cage. And as it goes out, letting it release your face and soften. Mm. And as it comes in, letting it expand your belly. And as it goes out, letting it stretch your neck and relax. And as it comes in, letting it deepen into your pelvis. And as it goes out, letting it slide up your spine. And on the next breath, as it comes in, let it go where it wants to go. And as it goes out, let it take a sound with it. Almost like it's a skier riding on top of the air again. And now letting it explore a little higher, a little lower. And maybe some scrunched up sounds. And some wide open. Mm. 
Yeah. Maybe just chew a little bit. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. I'm going to <laughs> hand it over to you, Heather, to share the song. Thank you so much, Patricia. So this is called This Body, and it's a, a song that came to me during a, a silent retreat that I sat at Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, where I have sat several retreats. I did a 10-day retreat over New Year's, and I was having some difficulty kind of sitting still on that second full day, and this song just arrived. And when I went on my walks uh, in the woods, I would sing this to the trees and to the to the different places uh, in the woods there where I like to go and not That's be silent beautiful. and just keep practicing my voice. So I'll sing it all the way through, and then I will just take it from there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, the song goes, This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here. This body is now. And that's the whole thing. And what has happened when I've been teaching it in different groups is that we've started to zipper in other other words. So what I'll do is I'll stay in breathing for a while, and then I'll bring in some of the, the favorites that have kind of bubbled up um, of words to, to zipper in. This body breathing. This body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here. This body singing, this body singing, this body is here, this body is now dreaming, this body dreaming, this body dreaming, this body is here. Healing. This body healing. This body healing. This body is here. This body is now grieving. This body grieving. This body grieving. This body. Living. 
This body living, this body living, this body is here, this body is now smiling, this body is smiling, this body is smiling, this body is here, this body is now loving, this body loving, this body loving, this body is here, this body is now back to breathing. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. One more time. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here. This body is now. Yeah. I love knowing that that came out of a meditation retreat. And the, the silence and the, the difficulty with being with one's body when that's the only thing you've got to be with. Nothing else yeah. to really notice. Yeah, yeah. I love sitting in that hall, and when I sing it, even now, every time I sing it, I just, when I close my eyes, I picture myself in that beautiful hall, and with that struggle, and then with the beauty that comes from sitting with that struggle, and the lessons that are learned there, yeah, it's a it's a powerful thing to be able to just sit there, like you say, with not much else to pay attention to, and to learn what the body has to teach you. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious, when you sing a song like this, do you have an internal pulse going on all of the time? If you didn't have your looper, if you're just singing it to yourself in the woods, what is happening in your body? Do you, are you pulsing in your body? Or are you following the feel of your voice and the words? Or Tell me, tell me more about how that works for you. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, well, just then, of course, I was with the looper, but... I, I think it depends on the on the circumstance. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm having a really hard day or if I'm, you know, I might sing it a lot more slowly mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, with more space in between each repetition. Mm -hmm. um, I really try to pay attention to what needs to happen because, you know, Melanie Damore, you know, has famously said that these songs are like medicine that we yes. carry around. And, you know, sometimes you can take a lot of medicine and sometimes you only need a little and just paying attention to the dosage, I guess, uh -huh. you know, and dosage and tempo, dosage and volume, all of that, yeah. you know, it's all, it's all part of, um, but to answer your original question, I do very often when I'm doing anything musical, I do kind of have a sense of there being a pulse, even if it's not a strict tempo, I, I, I'm definitely feeling the movement of that current. Mm -hmm. Lovely. What is the first sound that you usually make in the morning? Mm, um, probably ones that we were making similarly just a moment ago when we were stretching our bodies <laughs> like, oh, geez, yeah. Yeah. 
did I sleep that late or is it really that early? <laughs> this morning for me, it was, I can't believe I slept that late. Actually, I can. I've been so busy lately. <laughs> and I've been, I'm at the tail end of this little bit of a cold, um, which you can probably still hear in my voice, but mm -hmm. um, that's probably why I slept Me a too. Later. So we'll have a matched sound effect here. <laughs> Our, our sniffles will be uh, synchronized. Yeah. yeah. So um, what, <laughs> let's, let's go back in time. Let's just zoom back quick. Tell me the earliest song memory that you have. Oh, boy. Uh, the earliest musical memory I have is being in the little house that I lived in, in the town of Galena, Kansas, because I was born in Joplin, Missouri. My parents and I lived in Kansas for the first five years of my life, and my parents were big-time music lovers. There was always something playing on the stereo. And there was a band called Kansas. And they had a song, I think it was on the Left Overture album, called The Spider. And it's this short, instrumental, uh, keyboard-heavy... And maybe that's why I became a, a keyboard player and a piano <laughs> player, was hearing, hearing that, that song as a, as a child. But my earliest memory of anything musical is being a little toddler and listening to that song and just running, 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 running around the living room. Just oh. just so excited to be listening to this song. Fabulous. <laughs> what a great memory. <laughs> I love that. Do you cover any songs by Kansas now? No. I mean, a, a, long, a long time ago, I used to sing Dust in the Wind right. in a band I was in like back in the 90s, but no, not, not currently. Okay. So I understand that your dad was a big influence on you when you were young, a big musical influence, and that he, he died when you were 22. Um, he did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. I mean, that's, that's really early to lose your father, and I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I still, I mean, that was, you know, 20, almost 25 years ago now, and I still, and I realized that this year that I have lived more of my life without him than with him mm. it, it like physically right. physically right. being here which yeah. was that was quite a you know this this calculus that we all do as we age you yeah. know these these yeah. things um really start to um kind of show up in greater and greater relief like wow you know it's really been that long since xyz so that that kind of that really hit me this year and i've also learned over the years that grief is something that you don't just do it for a little while and then then it's over with. It's something that for me, at least in my experience, kind of goes in and out of remission. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's the mm -hmm. initial onset of it, which is really strong and powerful and almost too much to bear. And then over time, that same too much to bearness kind of will rear its head once in a while. And then you kind of find, or I, I should say I, have kind of found ways to regulate that. But it never really goes away. You mm -hmm. know, like I still... You know, I still want to call him every other day and just tell him about something that happened or, you know, play him some song that I wrote or because mm -hmm. he didn't live to see a lot of, you know, the success I've had as a professional musician. So mm -hmm. um, but I mean, he was to to get back to your point about him being an influence musically. Absolutely. He was the one that taught me how to read music. He was the one that dug out all of his old John Thompson teaching little fingers to play uh -huh. and you know I got started on the piano with those and it was so cool to be reading out of those as a young kid and seeing like my dad's name and my uncle's names all written in pencil you know uh -huh. in the margins with their little gold stars or whatever they got 
And that, those were the books I used. And my dad was also a clarinet player and played guitar, but never professionally. He just he had terrible stage fright. He would um, just play at home for his own enjoyment. That had a tremendous influence on me. To create music just for the sheer joy of it, not, not needing necessarily. He didn't have this need to go out and, and perform it or, or share it in that way. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah. But I, apparently I do. <laughs> And I have been. <laughs> have you ever struggled with stage fright? Um, I don't know how to say this. Not stage fright, but I definitely still get excited, like in a little kid kind of like, oh, look, and I'm peeking behind the curtain, you know, uh-huh. like, oh, look at all the people out there, and I can't wait to play for them. I still get so excited about it. But in terms of stage fright, I used to be terribly, terribly shy about my singing voice. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, from the time I started taking piano lessons, which was about a year after dad digging out his John Thompson books, the woman who was my piano teacher in the small town in Maine that I grew up in, Helen Davidson, if you're listening, Helen, I love you. <laughs> um, she, uh, she was a wonderful teacher. She was also the director of the children's choir at the local church. Yay, um, Helen. Yeah. And so... I started singing in the choir with other kids my age and some older kids around the same time that I started taking piano lessons. So I always loved and still do love singing in groups with mm-hmm. people and singing in harmony. There's something so nourishing about it. But if I ever had, if I had to sing a solo, I was just just terrified. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to sing solo. And for a long, and well into my, well into my twenties, I was just I, I would do it sometimes, but I was always nervous about it. I always put up a stink about it. And then at some point, I think it might have had something to do with my father's passing. I just realized, as Roberta Kern says, I'm going to be dead a long time. You know, this is the time. And so <laughs> I just kind of kind of got over it and just started singing. And now you can barely shut me up. <laughs> I just, I lost that, that fear of, I don't know what it was, if it was a fear of being judged or I don't know what it was, but part of it was also that I always had this sense, and I still believe this is true, that our voices, our individual voices are so unique and precious. I mean, it's like we are the instrument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I always had the sense that there was something very special about that and that I wanted to be careful I had some caution about how and where and why I shared that as a solo voice, if mm. that if that makes sense. I don't mm. know if that if that makes sense. I think that makes perfect sense. I mean it's it's yeah. such a it's a it's a vulnerable thing and it's a very precious thing. When you're entrusting a listener to hear your voice as it is, right? You're sharing something yeah. very intimate of yourself with that listener. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I always had a sense of how special and important that is. And I was just, I wanted to just guard it and not share it because I was mm. sort of erring on the side of, of that overly cautious, you know, safety in numbers. I'll sing mm-hmm. harmony in the mm-hmm. choir. I'll sing alto, sure, you know, kind of thing. And protectiveness. Very much so, yeah. And part of that could be childhood trauma things, you know, that, I mean, are not relevant to, the, <laughs> to this conversation necessarily, but there was definitely a sense of guardedness around my voice for a long time. And then something just kind of broke those floodgates open, and I just said, no, I just, I got to sing. 
I got to sing. Well, that was lucky for the world, I think. (laughs) I think that was a lucky moment. But I think going back to the childhood trauma, not to dig into it, you don't need to dig into it, but just to think that um, the experiences that we have as children that that mean we need to protect, that, that, yeah. that develop that need for protection, I think often affect the voice in one way or another, either because yep. you're protecting the voice by not sharing it out or because your body closes down around your voice and then your voice mm-hmm. doesn't sound good. It sounds tight and stressed and, um, and you know, maybe you listen to it and don't like it and other people listen to it and don't like it and you get that kind of feedback and then it creates right. this cycle of closing down further. It gets harder for people to match pitch. And I think that not always, it, I'm not saying that everybody who can't match pitch has had childhood trauma or anything like that, but I think that there often tends to be a, um, in my experience at least, working with people who aren't comfortable with their voices, there often is are protective elements that need to be teased apart and figured out whether or not it's time to let go of them, whether it's safe yeah. to let go of them. Right, right. And again, it's it's that wisdom of the body, right? It's that yes. wisdom of, you know, the body knows that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the strategy is we gotta we gotta protect. Yes. We have to, you know, and speaking a little bit to the point you just made about. Um, and I think you've probably heard many stories like this, and I have too, uh, from people who, you know, who were told as kids, you know, you know, you're not a very good singer, or, you know, just move your mouth, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't, and that's just so heartbreaking, you yeah. know, and again, it's yeah. just that, that, that it's because our voices are literally a part of ourselves, of our bodies, it's hard not to take that personally, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing if you if you're playing the piano or playing the clarinet and you squeak a note or you hit a wrong note. I mean, there there's a little bit of separation there because the instrument is not a part of your part of your body. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've it I, it always breaks my heart when I hear those stories from people. And sometimes people say it laughing, like, "Oh, you know, you don't want to hear me sing. You know, mm-hmm. well, I'll shatter all the windows." You know, they've found a way to kind of like make humor out of that. What I would say is a very traumatic thing to yes. be told, especially when you're young. You have this curiosity and this joy about living and maybe you want to express it with your voice and then someone, for whatever reason, like something happens to kind of shut that down. And Yeah. yeah. Which is why I think the, the work of community singing is so important because if you can get comfortable with this, with your voice and with, you know, what's happening in this moment and what's happening in this circle, you know, then that can only reverberate out. Yeah. I think another reason that people get those messages about their voices is because we can't see the instrument. We can't literally, you can't say, oh, you need to put your finger over this hole, not that right. hole. You know, so it's very, so I think that many teachers, many music teachers, well-meaning music teachers, have no idea how to go about sorting things out if somebody's not matching pitch or not finding mm. the rhythm. And I think that that's actually a very challenging thing to know how to work with a voice because mm-hmm. it's not visible. Right. And so, yeah. and so you get teachers who were at a loss. And what do we do when we're at a loss? So it's, it's much easier to blame the person who's not learning mm. than it is to mm. say, oh, I'm, I don't know how to teach you. Yeah. Which is maybe yeah. the message that sometimes is needed. As, as an aside to that, it's another thing that I have often, a conversation I've often had when I'm performing on piano, 
um, and I'll meet little kids after a performance or, you know, kids with their families and, and some child, it's usually if there are kids coming up with their parents, it's because they, the children play piano or, you know, mm-hmm. they're interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I always ask the same question if, if a, if a child comes up to me and, and they say, you know, I, you know, I play the piano and I've been taking lessons, you know, for however many years. And I'll, I'll say, how do you like your teacher? Is your teacher a lot of fun? Cause you know, we've all heard horror stories about the, the teachers that <laughs> hit you on the wrist with a ruler or whatever it is. I mean, you get, I'm sure that doesn't happen now, but uh, it's so important. Uh, musical education is so important. Sort of a holistic musical education is important rather than like you have to, you know, it's like memorizing things for the test. You know, mm-hmm. you got to play it this way and on to the next thing. So, it, yeah, I just think it's important for, for, um, for young kids to really be able to connect with their piano teacher or their oboe teacher or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. that, yeah, the education of music is so, it's so important. And yeah, it's very tricky because it's such an integrated thing. You know, we're using our bodies, whether it's our voice or our hands or our limbs to, to create something beautiful, you know, to create Mm -hmm. something um, that is resonant Mm -hmm. and, you know, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's a, that's not just, it's not just math. It's not just data input output. Teaching the arts, I think, is such a tricky, uh, One tricky of the business. They say about music is that it lights up more. It lights up on both sides of your brain. It lights up more of your mm-hmm. brain than almost any other activity that you can be involved with. So, yeah. Again, that's it's it's not a it's not a fluff thing. It's a it's yeah. an essential working. Absolutely. So you you perform a lot. You're touring right now. And you just gave, just before we got sidetracked, this brilliant description of how community song leading matters to you, what you, why you think community song leading matters in the world. Can you tell us a little bit specifically about what's different for you between performing and community song leading? Hmm, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know, I don't know if I can articulate what the difference is or whether there is a difference as in, in as far as what my experience of it is because i'm still whether i'm teaching people songs for us to sing together or i'm presenting a song that i wrote and people are just kind of sitting there listening i i think there's still as far as i'm concerned there's still an invitation there to find your place in it, whether you want to participate or not. Mm. It's, it's, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, I guess it it is different if people are coming to a community sing that is overtly a participatory thing. I always say, and when Bernice and I are leading our, our community sings, we always say, just come and go as you need to. You know, there's, you don't Mm -hmm. have to participate. You can just sit and listen and enjoy but I think that's the same if people are coming to see like the Heather Pearson Trio perform a concert. It's the same kind of thing. It's not overtly participatory, but on my end of it, it's still just this invitation to come and be a part of something. And so I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really fascinating to me. So to, to you, they don't have your experience is of an invitation and people are determining how how volubly they're participating right whether or not they're right. actually making sound but they're participating regardless yeah there's an engagement yeah. back and forth regardless either yeah because i think anytime we gather around 
music, you know, whether it's participatory or not, there's this possibility for, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but the, the, it's, again, it's just, it's a, I just think of it as an invitation to mm. just, to be a part of something that, and at least with my own, I'm not a performer of my other original music that's overtly political in any way. Like I want everyone to feel welcome. I don't, you know, mention anything about, I, I mean, maybe people can sort of figure out where I stand on certain things, but I'd rather that they didn't, you know? I, I'd rather just be like, I love music, I love life, and I want to share that with you. So come on, <laughs> come along with me. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So you mentioned Bernice, yes. Bernice Martin, whom you lead community groups in partnership with. Um, how did you get into, how did you get involved? Uh, so the my first exposure to community singing was back in 2000, maybe maybe the late 90s. Uh, there was a, a singing group that used to meet in Western Maine called the Circle Voice Singers, and they met every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Was it every Wednesday? No, that's the group. The, the the Norway community sing meets every Wednesday. It was every Thursday. We meet in the same place at a UU church. <laughs> so rewind the clock even more than that. When I was in high school, initially I was playing bass guitar and then later playing keyboards in a band called Garage Mahal. And our first lead singer was a, was a woman named Leah Boyd, who some listeners might know as Leah Wolfsong. She recorded and shared a lot of community singing style songs, and I was completely inspired by that. She and I and another woman were part of a briefly part of an acapella trio called the Light Sisters back in the back in the nineties. And that was kind of my introduction. Probably Light Sisters was my introduction to community singing. But in terms of like meeting regularly a, a core group of people gathering around a repertoire of songs, that was with Circle Voice Singers. And that was also with my friend Leah. And um she was the director of the of sort of there was a there were two kind of camps there was like the people who would come early just to sing and there were people who would stay for like an hour after the community sing to work on like concert repertoire you know we would sometimes go out and perform you know maybe in um, nursing homes and and things like that it wasn't a hospice choir but it was a community singing choir in that way so there were some people that wanted to come and just sing and then they would leave early and then those of us who wanted to you know formalize our offerings to the public, then we would mm-hmm. stay a little after. And so Leah was the director of, of Circle Voice Singers when I, when I joined it. And then at some point she got really busy. And then I ended up being the director of that, of that choir for, I, I can't remember if it was maybe a year or so. And then long story short, all of these things are kind of cyclical and everybody kind of slowly scattered to the winds. And I was in my twenties by then and, and living on my own and, and got busy with with life pulling me in other directions. So then community singing kind of got away from me, but I still had this repertoire of songs that I Mm -hmm. wrote during that time, which ended up being on my couple of older CDs of mine, one called Honor the Light and another one called We All Have a Song. And then I didn't really do much with it until I think it was in 2015. Um, There were a couple young women from the Midwest who settled in the Norway main area and they were all about community singing and they started a they started up a, a community singing group meeting at the same UU church that I met with Circle Voice Singers back in the day and so then that kind of reintroduced how much I love community singing back into my life so 
it was it was really strong in my life, and then it kind of went away and and opened the door for other musical opportunities, and then it has come full circle again. And and then with the Heart Songs and Circle Songs project with Bernice since 2018 has really solidified, you know, my desire to just keep doing this kind of work. You have approached music in so many different forms: piano, guitar, bass, guitar, percussion, voice, duos, trios, community singing. Um, some solo work, some is partnering. Whether you're working with other people in a chorus or whether you're working with Bernice in, in the Heart Songs Project or, or with your trio, what do you look for in someone that you're going to work closely with? What do I look for in musical collaborators? Um, yeah. The most important thing, I think, is just a willingness to listen, to listen really deeply and to know, <laughs> and a willingness to learn how to not play your instrument, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't take long to be able to kind of figure out some chords on a piano or a guitar or to, you know, to sing, to learn how to sing a song. But then you can just stand there with a guitar and strum and strum and strum and make a lot of noise and like, oh, look at me, I'm playing this thing, I'm playing mm-hmm. this thing. But there's, there has to come, I think, a willingness to think of it like you're carving out a a sculpture, you have a, a piece of marble, which is all the noise you can make, and then just kind of slowly taking out what's not needed and just play, you know, less is more. It's that whole idea of less is more. And just so it doesn't take long to learn to play an instrument, but it takes a really long time to learn how to not play it, if that makes sense. To not just fill the air yeah. with lots of noise. And there are moments in songs that you want all voices all the time, all the volume, all the joy, all the exuberance. And then there's times where you want to just take all that out and just bring a song down to its simplest. And again, that depends on circumstance. It depends on, you know, what does the song need? And again, there's that, that, that importance of deeply listening to what's happening in the moment. Um, a lot of what I'm saying is sort of informed by like an approach to the way you play jazz. You know, I play a lot of jazz piano and so... Mm-hmm you, there's a form, you know, it's however many measures, here are the chord changes. And then within that form, there's an infinite number of possibilities of how you can, you can improvise on over that form. And so again, music is an invitation. And so you can use that form to just busy it all up and be really dazzling and virtuosic, virtuosic. Is that a word? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's it. You got or it. Or you can be even more virtuosic and just say so much with so little. So yeah, yeah. I, I I look for people who are are willing to listen first and foremost um, to what they're doing and to what what's happening around them. I think that's the that's the most important thing. What do you do when there's a disagreement in the group about whether this is the verse that needs to be big or this is a verse that that needs more space or what do you do when, when you've got three ears together or three heads, <laughs> six ears together and mm. there's not agreement? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good question. Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's happened. I just, uh, there aren't any examples that are springing to mind. Again, I, I just, I think, yeah, a willingness to listen is such a gift and a, and a, a willingness to try on, other ideas, you know, like, oh, well, let's try it this way. Let's try mm-hmm. it the way you're suggesting. Let's see how it feels. Mm-hmm. Or let's try just being willing mm-hmm. to, to just show up and try, you know, try it on. Try it on. Yeah. 
So I describe A Breath of Song as being a podcast about sharing songs that help us uncover this wellness that's already inside of ourselves. In a way, I'm, I'm hoping to encourage people to listen to themselves, to listen to these songs, to use the songs as a, as a vehicle for listening, right? Mm, right. I'm wondering if you can think of a particular time that you remember witnessing a song as being a healing or an adaptive modality, either for yourself mm. or for somebody well, else. I think there's probably too many, <laughs> too many to mention. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not a particular one that is shining brightly in my memory at the moment. But I, I, I do experience it every time, especially in a community singing, because it, like, like we were saying earlier, it is vulnerable to open your mouth, and especially if you're not used to doing it, and just whatever comes out comes out. I think just the fact that people show up to do that is already, it's, it's like what you say at the end of your podcast, like, yay us, we're here, you know, here we are. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of a specific, like, shining example, but I, I think the fact that there are so many that I could choose from is sort of anecdotal testament to the fact that, that what we're doing with these songs and with music is, is so important to so many people, including those of us who are teaching and carrying songs. And I mean, I certainly, yes. I certainly uh, yes. never, yes. ever fail to get some kind of goosebumps on my arms. If, if there's enough people on all the parts, if it's a layer song and you've got mm -hmm. all, you've mm -hmm. got all the parts are totally covered and you can just, ah, oh, you just stand there and just soak in all that. It's just amazing. I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just like thinking about it. And I, it's just, it's so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, yeah. I'm literally preaching to the choir right now, but it's, uh, it, it, I mean, it, yeah, music is where it's at. <laughs> Absolutely. I am with you. So I'm curious when you think of music as medicinal, as Melanie Damore described it, and other people have described it that way as well, are you somebody who's inclined to choose songs that acknowledge where you are and go deeper in that direction? Kind of, this is how I feel. I'm going to choose something that lines up with how I feel and, and just really experience it fully. Or do you mm. tend to choose, or do you tend to say to yourself, okay, I'm kind of done with feeling that. This is how I would like to feel. This is where I want to go. I'm going to choose a song that's <laughs> oh, in, heading yeah. in that direction. Or I want to build up fierceness, yeah. you know, so I'm going to choose a song that's fierce, mm. even though I don't feel fierce right now. Do you mean like in the context of a, of a singing circle or just me just Either going way. for a walk and just like singing to myself? I guess first starting with and, just you and yeah, then going I, I, to the circle. I think, yeah, starting with just me, I give myself a lot more permission to, to kind of move in and out of things mm -hmm. as I need to. I did recently, without going into too much detail, I kind of recently kind of had a, a low couple of days where I was dealing with some, some family things. There had been a death in my family, and it, it brought up a lot of um, memories of things that you know that were tough, that were tough to, to be with. And so I kind of, I did sing to myself some you know, part of it was trying to change what I was feeling, you know, which is such a, as someone who has had a um, many, many years daily meditation practice, I know like the, that, like the thing that comes to mind is like, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're not so, quote unquote supposed to try to change what you're feeling. But sometimes when you're feeling really awful, you just, you do want and need to change that. So I might try to sing something that's a little peppy, but then it's like, 
oh, but that doesn't feel genuine. So yeah, if I'm by myself, not feeling low, but if I'm going on a walk, I'll just start singing whatever mm -hmm. I'm feeling. And I just kind of let the feelings come and go. In the context of a singing circle, there's, I think there's more responsibility there to pay attention, not only to how I'm feeling in the moment, but just, you know, you've got a room full of souls mm -hmm. here. And how are they feeling? And if people are feeling, if it seems like they're not really singing out strong, then maybe start with things that are simpler. And it, it really depends mm -hmm. on circumstance. It's such a fluid thing because I'm thinking now of when Bernice and I, we were at the, uh, the Natural mm -hmm. Living Expo in Marlboro, Mass. Back in November, we were exhibiting at the Expo and we also did a community sing on the last day. And so there were a bunch of people there that we were meeting for the first time and we have no idea what kind of mix of voices and parts and things. So in situations like that, she and I will very often, we'll have a list of songs that, yeah, like this is how we're feeling this morning. Like, yeah, I'd really like to sing these songs. But then you show up and if you only have 10 or 12 people, maybe you can't do those four mm -hmm. layer songs, mm -hmm. you know, that are really sort of ambitious or whatever. Um, or sometimes you get, you get 10 or 12 people that are really good at harmony singing. And so then you kind of, it takes, I think, a song or two to kind of like figure out like, oh, you know, these are, there's some really strong harmony singers. And then you can kind of play a little more. Um, with that sort of thing. But so much of it is, again, it's just what what's happening now? How are, you know, what's my sense of like how people are feeling? You know, are people feeling kind of down? Do they want to be uplifted? I mean, you know, you can kind of try things. It's that that idea in meditation of, of titration, getting a little yes. bit closer to something and, you know, try yeah. things, try things and just see how they go. So I, that's a very long-winded way of saying, <laughs> I don't know to your question. <laughs> But, you know, it's interesting because you're coming right back to the listening, right? What you're saying, basically, is that you try yeah. something, you're listening, listening on so many levels, seeing how it works, and then yeah. adjusting, responding to, to, to what that yeah. is. I'm curious from something that you said. I haven't ever thought about asking this before, but this might become a regular question. I don't know. When you think about the songs in your repertoire, in your community singing repertoire in particular... How do you group them? Like you just said, it might start with something a little simpler. You know, do you think about how many parts they have, how many layers they have, how complex they are rhythmically, how many words they have? You know, sort of how do you group them in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have sort of these little uh -huh. you know, umbrellas. And under this umbrella, there's, there's these kinds of songs, you know, layer songs. Like, that has three parts. Yeah, we could probably do that. We, or this one, this one really works best in a four-part round, but we only have, like, eight people. Well, we can, we can try a two-part uh -huh. round. You know, there's two of us, Bernice and I. We can, we can divide this up. It, again, it, that, that element of, or that essence of improvisation, which is so important to me, like, uh -huh. as a jazz musician, I try to, I think I just, I bring a lot of that to everything yeah. I do musically, just showing up and being prepared. In other words, like knowing which body of songs I want to, I want to draw from and then showing up and just paying attention to what's happening and going, yeah, well, we could probably, yeah, we can definitely do two part rounds here. We may not be able to do these and that's okay. Maybe we can just do one layer from this song. And, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, for some reason, I just remember, I don't know if you know that Lawrence Cole song about um, that lyric, that, um, attention is the healer of separation. Do, do you know that? I don't one? know that one. I don't yeah, know that that's one. a, it's a layer. Well, so the first part is attention is the healer of separation. And again, I just, 
thought of that, I was like, oh yeah, that's an, like just that idea of listening and just showing up and noticing what's happening. The other part of that Lawrence Cole song is notice, notice where you are and how you feel and notice, notice who you're with and how they're feeling too. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the work of not just singers and musicians, but anybody that wants to live like a more deeply examined life to just to to be resonant in the world with whatever you do music yeah. or carpentry or whatever it is building houses <laughs> yeah. picking up trash you know there, yeah. there there's yeah I don't know if any of that makes sense yeah that attention and also the um you're cultivating a trust in yourself you know I think about the work of improvisation and there's there's the preparation and the, yes, you want to build skills and have the skills there and available to you. But then in the moment, you're not thinking about the skills as much as you are trusting. You're trusting what's coming, appearing out of yourself. Right. And out of the group. Yeah. And also, and this goes back to like the, you know, singing, like, should I sing? You know, can I sing? Do I want to sing? It's that giving yourself permission. You know, I think that's yeah. a lot of it. You know, there's that that protective thing could be because you're trying to protect yourself from trauma to not. But it's also just like giving yourself permission to just express yourself um, mm -hmm. and just like that that old saying about, you know, dance like no one's watching, you know, or, yeah. or whatever. But but it's the same idea. It's just you got one shot. Let's let's do something let's beautiful. Let's not waste it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's not spill it. So in your one shot, you work really hard. You gig regularly, you offer a weekly blog, you engage a Patreon community, you live stream regularly, you songwrite, you record. I could keep talking here, right? <laughs> um, how do you care for yourself to sustain that kind of a creative pace? Mm, yeah, well, eight hours of sleep is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Especially during COVID, I just... Sean and I, uh, my partner Sean Neto, he plays bass with me, and we've we've been making music together for twelve years now. We uh, suddenly, the beginning of the pandemic, we were literally halfway through a six week tour when when the when the thing came, right. you know, the, right. the 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 March thirteenth, whatever, you know, this is happening, yeah. and we all need to go home and hunker down. So we suddenly went to being. What are we going to do with our time? <laughs> and so it was during during COVID um, when I became a real fan of going to bed early and getting enough sleep. And I somehow became a morning person. Like I, I'm up in the morning now, which which is kind of a new thing for me in my life. But yeah, to to keep to keep uh, to keep the cogs moving. Yeah, it, it's really it's kind of the the stuff that everybody kind of knows, but you just kind of have to do it. Like get, get enough sleep, drink enough water. For me, what's really nourishing is a daily meditation practice, a daily yoga practice. Every morning I have my daily writing practices that I do in the mornings that just, especially, you know, when we're traveling and touring, it can be hard. Like, oh, I don't want to roll the mat out on this yucky motel room floor, but no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, um, just those things that kind of keep, keep me grounded. And of course, when I'm home, just trying to practice on all my instruments, you know, for a little bit every day and, uh, and singing, of course, just always singing, always singing. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to dig a little more into the nitty gritty here. Sure. How many minutes of yoga practice? 
Oh, not very long. I mean, 10, 15 minutes in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's usually like the first thing I do after I drink a glass of water right when I wake up. And Is it sun salutations? Is it stretches? No, it's just, it's kind of like a, it's just a little series of, and it's not just yoga. There's some movement and some stretching and just things that I do that it's like a combination of things, a rotation that I do every day mm-hmm. uh, or just about every day that just seems to, seems Is to Is this help. one that you've created over time kind of yeah kind of pieced it together you know pieced like together, the yeah. um which reminds me of one of my favorite birds um <laughs> during covid <laughs> i've become a, a real bird nerd i've just become this uh watcher of birds and you know i even um reporting my checklist to ebird.org yes. and you yeah. know supporting yeah. cornell and all of that stuff um so i but that's that's been a new thing in the last almost three years but the gray catbird uh is probably my favorite one of my favorite mm. birds because they improvise and they yes. mimic they mimic the yes. sounds where they where they find themselves. So my morning yoga and stretching and movement thing is kind of a gray cat bird esque. You know, just I've taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and I put it into this routine that I do every nice. morning. Yeah. Nice, yeah. And then um, keeping on with the specifics, how many minutes of meditation? Um, usually 30 minutes of silent meditation every day. Is that on the mat seated? You usually sitting in a chair. Um, Yeah. yeah, Just sitting in a chair. And I usually break that up into two, like I'll I'll do 10 or 15 minutes, you know, early in the morning before coffee, before breakfast or anything. And then try to do like another 15 or 20 halfway through the day. And when do you write and how long do you write for? So I have a, a writing couple writing practices. One is I just I journal every day. My journaling over the years has kind of gone in fits and starts. Like I'll go many months, sometimes years of writing every day, and then I'll go months of maybe writing once a week. Uh, right now, I'm in a really strong every morning journaling. Maybe I don't know a couple hundred words, just about what happened the day before, dear diary kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll dig into stuff. You know, if there's something that's troubling me, and I'll I'll write a little more about that. But the the more the other writing practice that I do that's kind of almost more cathartic is um, I do an object write every morning, um, which is I just pull up a blank document on my iPad and I go to randomwordgenerator.com and whatever word comes up, I just write about that word on a timer for ten minutes. Beautiful. Just whatever, just whatever I'm inspired to write, and then after ten minutes I then I don't revise it. I don't edit it. I don't change anything. I just mm-hmm. go back. And, and so mm-hmm. over the years, I, I just, I have hundreds and hundreds of these things. And some of them, mm-hmm. some of them are surprisingly like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And so part of what I do on my Patreon is I share one of those write, writings every Monday morning. So if people are interested in my poetry, they can, uh-huh. they can check that out there. Yeah. Beautiful. I love the way what you're describing is talking about building these habits that feed being able to be present in your life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, cuz yeah. it it is it's a muscle like anything else. Attention and mindfulness and awareness, those are those are muscles that need to be worked just as much as our you know, our limbs and our voices yeah. and everything else. It re- really does take practice to train the attention in certain ways. And it's so easy to think that other things are more important, you know, that, well, you know, this morning I've got a deadline, so really let me go work on that deadline before I do anything else. Or it's easy to set those things aside. Yes, yep. Um, Yeah, and then it's, then 
if you're like me, then if you do skip a day, if there, if something does happen, you sleep later, you have an appointment, you know, oh, I had to get to the dentist, so, so maybe I'll do it later. Sometimes I get to it later, but then I just try to forgive myself. It's like, uh, that was a different day. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it again tomorrow. Yeah. I do tend to be kind of a to-do list, get it all done, inbox zero kind of person, but then that can just create its own madness <laughs> of just keeping up yeah. and keeping up and yeah. keeping up. So, yeah. So forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness for sure. <laughs> Self, self-forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is another form of listening, listening to what, what's happening in your heart, listening to why am I feeling sad about skipping my, you know, not doing X, Y, Z this morning? Like what, am I, am I sad or am I disappointed or, you know, am I putting undue expectations on myself? So going back to the couple of days that you experienced just a few weeks ago that were hard, we all have things in our past, right? We all have things that get triggered, that get woken up, and they're part of us, right? right. They're not going to go away. They're not ever going to be gone. Right. That remission thing, yeah. That remission thing, right? They cycle. And so you found yourself in this, in this cycle again and, and needing to address something. Mm-hmm. What, what did you find most useful this time through? Well, I always find silence to be such such an important part of any kind of there, there's a there's a part of me that wants to just like turn on you know something on YouTube or you know just turn on some mindless thing which sometimes I do you know sometimes we mm-hmm. you know we turn on the mm-hmm. TV just to kind of distract our distract ourselves um, but sometimes like the the thing that actually really helped me this time around was just just laying on my bed in silence and just crying for a while, just letting the, just letting my body just grieve this thing that I was grieving and just Mm -hmm. let it happen. Mm -hmm. And then the half-life of those kinds of what we experience as unpleasant emotions, if you just kind of let yourself burn up with them, that the half-life is like moments. It's not, it's certainly not hours or days. It can be if you kind of fall into that. And I've done it in my life, you know, where you just listen, turn up the music louder, you know, turn up the stereo louder, turn up the TV, you know, and just not wanting to deal with those things that we, that we don't want to look at. And we all have those things and it's, and it's okay. It's okay. If you deal with things that way, that's, we all have those strategies that we use to, to meet the needs that are bubbling up. And, and the way that we find out what those needs are is to get in touch with our feelings and just and really experience the whatever it is, anger or grief or, or joy or whatever it is, and just let yourself burn up with it. And then it'll, it'll pass, because it always does. But yeah, but silence, silence is very, very important for me, because then it's just, it gets me even more into like what is happening now. I can't just... I could distract myself with these other things, but I, I'm choosing not to right now. I just want to be what, you know, what do I need to do right now? And so I just, I had to just lay on the bed and cry for a while. And then I was, and then I was much better. Sometimes it really is that simple. Just having a good cry, having a good laugh, yeah. you know, simple simplicity, you know, and just, again, just listening to the body, paying attention to the, the feelings that are bubbling up and just giving them permission to express themselves. I remember how terrified I was the first time that I, as an adult, allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. Mm. I can still remember so clearly how how terrified I was mm. that it was never going to stop and that that feeling of letting yourself burn up with the feeling was just going to take me over some edge that was 
that I was never, ever going to be able to come back from. Yeah. That it was, it was going to be fatal. And, and, and that's how it felt. Yeah. You know, it felt like this is not survivable. Right. It feels, I can't feel it feels this. like a crisis. It's not survivable. Yeah. 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 And uh, I remember how startled I was after I, it was, it was like two and a half hours. It was a pretty long one because mm. it was the first time in many, many, many years. And I remember how startled I was when I started to notice that it was shifting, mm. you know, and I was still here. Yeah. And I had let myself go all the way through and into it. And I was still here on the other side. And I was just, you could have blown me over with a feather. You know, it was just like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You get to feel this intensely and you don't just disintegrate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just, I was astonished. Yeah, what a gift. What a gift to know. Yeah, it was a huge gift. And to learn something about your own strength in an experience like that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's I'm, I'm actually really happy that you got burned up with whatever that was and that you had that experience, <laughs> that you can yeah. come out the other side stronger and, and wiser and more able to say, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do, I can do this. This is hard, but I can do, you know, I can do this. Yeah. I think my level of trust in myself shot up. Yeah. So is there anything that you're excited about right now that you would like to share? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited that I get to basically be myself for a living. I'm, I'm just always so humbled by the fact that music is, it's what I've been doing for my, for my living for the last 12 years. And people coming to, to sings or to concerts or through the Patreon community, um, people are just supporting me to do what I love to do, which is to, is to make and share music. So I'm excited about that. In particular, I'm really excited about a couple of recording projects that I'm working on. One is a second CD with Bernice Martin. Um, we have tons of songs <laughs> recorded, and uh, we're just trying to sort through them all. And it's been difficult, of course, during a pandemic to get a willing group of singers to come into a small recording studio at the same time mm -hmm. and, and record. So we've mm -hmm. been kind of re revisiting some of the recordings that we've made over the last couple of years at this the studio in Maine. Um, my friend Alan Bean owns a recording studio called Baked Beans Recording. It's on a it's on a <laughs> dirt road in western Maine, and I've done a lot of recording there over the years. And so Bernice and I have been working on what we hope will be the next two, the next. Well, there's going to be a, a second volume CD, and then there's plenty of songs for at least a third, and who knows what's what's <laughs> on the horizon beyond that. So we're working on that. And then um, to kind of bring all of this full circle, uh, my friend Leah Boyd, who I mentioned earlier, uh, she and I recently reunited musically, and we have a duo called Peaceful Means. And we um, have had a few performances, and we are also in the studio currently working on what will be our first release. So, um, so those are things I'm really excited about. That is fabulous. And the links for all of these things will be in the show notes. So you can scroll down through, press three dots, whatever you need to do to get to see all the text. And down at the bottom of the text, I'll include links, including to Leah Boyd, for example, and other things that Heather has mentioned throughout. We will stick them all in. Are you good for lightning round questions? I'm, yeah, I'm ready. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> What's an album that was really important to you? Oh, boy. Well... 
the earliest album I can remember just blowing my mind was Allman Brothers um, Live at Fillmore East. Yeah, that's been a really important album in my life. All right. What is your favorite soup? Oh, I just made my favorite soup yesterday, which is, I call it a must-go. You know, you just open the fridge and it's like, oh, we've got a bit of onion. We've got a couple of carrots that are (laughs) looking a little wrinkly. Um, Oh, yeah, there's a little bit of green beans left and just throwing, throwing stuff in a pot. Yep. Vegetable soup. Vegetable soup yeah. must go. Must yeah, go and soup. oh, there's a little bit of uh, lentils left, or there's a little bit of split. But you know, just throw a bunch of grains. Is and there veggies. anything that always goes in a must go soup? Uh, oh, anything. Well, potatoes and onions for sure. Okay, all right. <laughs> just checking. You had some kind of base there, <laughs> and a can of tomatoes. You know, some kind of preferably fire okay. roasted. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite replacement curse word for when you're in a place that it seems inappropriate? Oh, um, well, I haven't shown my potty mouth side at all on on this call, but or on this uh, interview. But I don't know if I really have a favorite. I do like saying "Gosh darn all to heck." All right, that'll work. <laughs> that'll work. Um, what is a sound that you feel strongly about? Ooh, a sound I feel strongly about. Uh, just. Voices in Harmony. Mm. Yeah. Who is an artist that you wish more people listened to? Oh. Oh, boy. There's so many. (laughs) I, well, geez. Everybody I'm thinking of are, like, people that probably are already pretty well established, but... um, there is a band that maybe some listeners haven't heard of called the Wood Brothers that I love. And I do wish more people listen to them. Perfect. Then they fit. Exactly. <laughs> Before we close, for people who, who aren't looking through the show notes, um, where can we find you and follow your projects or buy your music? Oh, yeah. The, the best place is heatherpearson.com, where you can find links to everything I've talked about today. If you're interested in diving deeper into the community singing side of what I do. That would be heartsongsandcirclesongs.com. And that's Heather Pearson, P-I-E-R-S-O-N. That's right. Right? Yep. Yeah. A huge thank you, Heather, for coming on A Breath of Song today. Huge thank you to you, our listeners. I'm so glad you're singing with us. Let me remind you that sharing this podcast with your friends really makes a difference to the health, ongoing health of the podcast. Visit abreathofsong.com to see show notes with links, lyrics, Patty Piotrowski's glorious artwork. Sign up to get artwork and music in your mailbox. How beautiful is that? Leave something in the tip jar to help cover costs. Before Patty or I is paid, 25% is donated to the Jazz Foundation of America, which directly supports jazz, blues, and roots musicians in need. The skill and the artistry of these musicians has directly shaped most of the music that I share on this podcast, yet historically they have been inadequately recognized and unfairly recompensed. This is a small step toward restoration that we can take together. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, thank you for doing that. I, that means so much to me. I just want to point out, Heather is a regular donator to A Breath of Song and a monthly contributor, and that kind of artists supporting each other makes such a huge difference. As you would know from your Patreon community, it it matters when people step up and say, yes, your work is making a difference in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I value it. Yeah, and I, I so look forward to Breath of Song every Wednesday morning. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> 
Let's sing this body again to help it sink in more deeply. Yeah, yeah. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here, this body is now. This body breathing, this body breathing, this body is here. This body is now. This body breathing. This body breathing. This body is here. This body is now. Hmm. Thank you for joining Heather and me today for a breath of song. I am grateful that you are taking care of yourself and listening to your voice. I believe making a better world starts with tuning in to ourselves and each other, which is what we just did, so yay us! Yay us! Yay us! If you are liking this podcast, please share with a friend, and next time we'll plant another song. Until then, be well. Yay! Yay! That's us done. We can hit pause. (laughs) Stop. Save the file.